Welcome to the Immeasurable Podcast at the Krishnamurti Center in Ojai, California. This series reflects upon Krishnamurti's work and how it directly impacts the listener. The invitation is to inquire together into the fundamental nature of our existence. We are here in Pine Cottage with Dr. Gabor Mate, a renowned speaker, best-selling author and physician. He's well known for his writing in childhood development, addiction, stress, and trauma. He's currently writing his next book titled The Myth of Normal, Illness and Health in an Insane Culture, which will be out later this year. Next to me is Jab Slauter, the executive director of the KFA, and I'm Francisco Matza, the marketing and fundraising director. Great. Really... Uh... Uh, nice to see you, uh, Gabor. Uh, we have been uh, looking at your work, uh, Francisco and I, and here uh, with our team here in Ojai in preparation for this. For this, and it was really a, a delight and, and and insightful. And there are many angles we can take. And I, um, the starting point is, um, of course, I, I, you have done quite a bit of work on. Uh, addiction on ADHD and uh, mental illness. And, uh, but I, I would like it if we can frame, uh, uh, this discussion more or less around, uh, uh not as a, if there's a particular issue, but somehow in the generality of human, you know, as if, because it, 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 it by, by, uh, uh, to stop somehow the division between okay the normal and the and the and the not normal the 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 person who has an, has something and uh, the person who doesn't have something because um we all suffer one way or another we're all hurt and we're all in pain and maybe we're not all uh, uh suffering from uh having uh, using substance abuse or and maybe we're all not having we we cannot all be grouped as a particular mental illness but um i i mean i would be it would be fair maybe to say there's there's something wrong with all of us <laughs> one way or another and um because that will because then i feel the relevance of what we're talking about is not okay we're talking about the others meaning the the person with some kind of mental disturbance or with an addiction, but uh, talking about our psyche, which might be manifesting in a particular way uh, when there's this um, uh, so-called illness, but uh, more, yeah. So about humanity. So what is what is what is the uh, what are the the issues with humanity? Uh, so I hope you can agree with that kind of framework to to start with. Well, you know, yeah, that's the uh, framework I'm working in, is that the distinction between uh, illness or health is very arbitrary. But in fact, we're all on a continuum of human experience. And fundamentally, what it comes down to is, um, I don't even frame it in terms of there's something wrong with all of us. You know, like I, I, I remove the word wrong from the conversation. Yeah. Is that something happened to all of us. Hmm. And... Um, um, basically, it comes down to, as human beings, we have certain needs. We're born with certain expectations. Now, when I say we're born with certain expectations, I don't mean that 
consciously expect anything hmm. is that a ray organism is an expectation. Hmm. So, um, a tadpole is an expectation for water, you know, uh, hmm. our lungs are an expectation for oxygen. If there was no oxygen in our atmosphere, we would not have lungs, we would not exist as the creatures that we are. So we're yeah. born as an expectation. Yeah. To the extent that the expectations, I mean, I can talk about what they are, but to the extent that they are met, we will develop according to nature's plan. If they're not met, there'll be some distortion or some limitation in our development. Hmm. And um, take an acorn. An acorn is an expectation for soil and sunlight and irrigation. And then it naturally develops into an oak tree. But if I put this acorn on my table here, nothing will happen yeah. because the expectation that the airport is for earth, soil, minerals, sunlight, irrigation is not being met. Now the same with a human being. Hmm. So we're born with ex as an expectation for nurturing, for love, for attuned understanding, for being held in certain ways, for breastfeeding for a number mm -hmm. of years, um, for an environment where Adults protect us from the stresses as best they can. And when we are stressed, they can hold us so we can move through the stress and learn that things happen where we can handle the stress and handle the pain of life. When those expectations are not met, and I'd say in this culture, largely they're not met, then our development is distorted, just mm -hmm. as it would be of that acorn if it didn't meet the proper conditions. Mm -hmm. And or for the tadpole. And so we are hurt sometimes by what happens to us, but most commonly we're hurt by what doesn't happen to us that should have happened. You know, mm -hmm. that, 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 that our, the expectation that we are for mm -hmm. certain conditions was not met. Mm -hmm. That creates pain and that creates distortion and that affects the brain and the psyche and mm -hmm. the soul and the physiology. The yeah. Yeah, of course, it, it's cultural. So that's why I would frame it. So in that sense, we're all on the same continuum. And, mm -hmm. those, and those diagnostic categories are arbitrary distinctions. Hmm. Yes. Uh, and, and, you know, you have a... Uh, uh, a, 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 a often it looks like the optimization is what fits into society best. Uh, you have a well-known quote it's, uh, uh, of, of Krishnamurti saying... It's better to be, uh, uh, it's not a, a sign of health to be well adjusted to a sick society. And that's often what we, what the, the main objective is, right? Even uh, from, uh, can be of therapy or can be of a society as a whole. And and I just want to zoom into that because I, I watched one of your um, talks and it was, and you mentioned a relationship between triggers, eh, the starting point of a trigger and pain or hurt or trauma and um, or or that in the trigger the trauma manifest and somewhere in that in that uh, um, in that talk you said well but there's the possibility to be free of being triggered yeah. or free and and and, and I, I I don't I don't know if you meant free of the trigger per se or free 
of the consequences of the trigger because some triggers you know are um how do you say there are uh, the, we, we don't call them up they just come in their own volition right i mean we're already triggered by Uh, you know, I'm looking at your face and I'm looking if you approve or disapprove. And if you disapprove, I would, oh, you know, so, so there's, there's already, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, so, so as social human beings, we, we have this, uh, uh, we're constantly looking for science and interpret science and put a narrative on the sign and that, so that, so triggers are almost an inevitable, but there seems to be, and, and that's where I really want to bring it to, because you said then, okay. Uh, there's a, a, a quality of mind that can change the trigger, which you called awareness, right? You said if there's a quality of awareness that could somehow have an effect on the trigger or at the consequence of the trigger. And I would like to um, uh, unpack that more with you because uh, I think that's also more or less how I understand Krishnamurti. He would say, well, there are triggers, but there's continuity given to the triggers. Is it possible that, that there's no continuity given to triggers? And he says, well, there's a, and he, he also says that awareness plays a big role in that. And uh, could you, would you uh, be willing to go into that a bit? Well, so, I mean, Krishnamurti, um, I think his, Not that I'm a deep scholar of him, but as best I understand his work, it's all about awareness. He, he keeps talking about awareness. Yeah. And, you know, he says, can we be free of the past? And he says, yeah. as I understand his answer, it's yes, but only through awareness. Now, um, this, this scanning of the other person's face, whether approval or not for approval or acceptance and so on, we're social beings. And so that um, your nervous system affects my nervous system. And, and, and the functioning of your nervous system is manifested through your facial expressions. Mm. Now, there's a time in life when that's absolutely determining of our own state. So how you look at me determines about how I'm going to feel about myself. That time of life is early childhood. Mm -hmm. Baby is scanning the face of the mother and the father, and you know, and it's very connected. And and and, and how they look at the baby changes the baby's physiology and informs the baby's self-concept. Now, the fact that you and I are still scanning the faces of other people just means that, to some extent, we're still babies. We haven't uh, quite grown up yet where we still believe that our existence and our well-being depends on how somebody else looks at us. Mm. Well, that speaks to somewhat of a lack of awareness. Mm. Because actually, reality is, it doesn't matter what I think of you and how I look at you. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter to your life or, or vice versa. But we're both affected by it, you know? Mm. So that's a, to that degree, we haven't quite grown up yet. Mm. Now. The concept of trigger, and, and again, Krishnamurti says, can we be free of the past? But triggers are all about the past. So let me explain that. So trigger, as we understand, is a metaphor that comes from weaponry. So there's the, there's the weapon with the ammunition inside, the explosive material, and the whole mechanism for delivering the ammunition to its target. Then there's the trigger, 
the smallest part of that whole thing is the trigger. The trigger is a tiny little thing. If there was no explosive there, if there was no ammunition there, I couldn't be triggered. And so, so, so when I get triggered, it's because there's something explosive inside me. That something that's explosive inside me is, I think, what Krishnamurti refers to as the past. So, in other words, if you say something to me like, Gabor, what you just said was stupid. Let's say you said that. I don't expect you to, but you might be saying it. You might be thinking it, but you're not going to say it. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> if I'm actually confident that I'm a worthwhile person and that what I have to say may be right or wrong, accurate or not, but it's not stupid, then if you said to me, Gabo, what you said was stupid, I'd just be curious. Jeff, why did you say that? Mm. I'm curious why you said that. Mm. However, if I've been wounded by people questioning my value, undermining it when I was small, um, making me believe that what I have to say is not worthwhile. In other words, if I carry this ammunition and you say to me the same things, then I'm going to get triggered and really upset. Mm. So the power of the trigger is not in itself, but in what I'm carrying inside. Mm. And what I'm carrying inside is the past. Mm. So the more we can uh, be aware of that. So let's say you said to me, what you said, Gabor, was stupid. And let's say then I notice, oh, when, when he says that, my stomach starts to churn and, and there's a mm. tension in my chest and a tightness in my throat. If I was aware of that, then I could say, hmm, that's interesting. When you say that, I get all these physical reactions. And uh, I'm aware of that. Then I won't be triggered. Hmm. So again, uh, it does come to down to awareness. But when I say awareness, it's not that simple. Hmm. Uh, to get to the stage of awareness, there's a lot of stuff and pain and trauma that most of us have to work through before we can get that awareness. And a lot of people do awareness work without doing the emotional work. Hmm. And I don't think that's sufficient. Hmm. Yeah. So, um, and so you're you're somehow saying, and I, I I'm with you on that. You're somehow saying there is uh, 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 the, the same trigger, but when there's no awareness, that the explosive explosive goes off, <laughs> and it has a consequence, physiological, psychophysiological response. And if the trigger ha happens, but the explosive is not there, had the awareness is there, then somehow uh, there's a different response, right? Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. And yeah, uh, and so, so, uh, so, so uh, uh, is there more to say about what awareness is doing? Why, what is the anatomy there? Of, I mean, if there's more to say, maybe we, maybe this is the, all, the, 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 the deepest level we can look at it. Or is there more to say about, um, uh, that, what that quality of awareness does in this, right? What is that? Uh, it, because I mean, and I'm, I'm just unpacking that because it could easily be understood as awareness, meaning I register it 
I notice it. I'm, I'm uh, conscious of it. I can think about it. And because I can think about it, I'm aware of it. And I'm thinking that's not what you mean, right? You don't mean, uh, uh, it becomes another part of my narrative or some kind of control. Oh, yes, I am. Uh, you're saying something hurtful. I shouldn't respond. I should look at my body and I'm going to do this. There's there's something, it's a more wholesome reaction that you're talking about. And is it, is it possible to unpack that? Um, well, so the, um, the Buddha in one of his teachings says that when a monk has anger, they're aware that there's anger in me. When the monk experiences joy, the monk is aware there's joy in me. Hmm. In other words, you don't you don't identify with the emotion. Hmm. You notice it. It's in you, but it's not you. Hmm. So that awareness is the space in which uh, things can arise. Um, physiologically or anatomically, if you put it that way, it's a question of which parts of our brain is activated. Hmm. Hmm. Now. The more traumatized we are and the more unconscious we are, the more the more evolutionarily primitive uh, parts of our brain get activated. The hind brain, which is the reptilian freeze mm. uh, mode, or the more um, evolved mammalian uh, flight or flight response. The limbic system, which is the emotional parts of our brain, when we hold our emotional memories and our hurts and our emotional unconscious interpretations of the world, mm. or the prefrontal cortex, which is capable of reflection and empathy and consciousness and awareness. Mm. And on the same day, I can come from any, any of those parts of my brain depending on what state I'm in, how much awareness I have, how much conscious I have, how much presence I have. So um, what we're talking about awareness is an integration of all those parts, I believe, with the prefrontal cortex in charge. So it's not that the others disappear, nor should they, because they're essential for survival, mm -hmm. but they don't dominate our behavior. So the more my behavior and responses stem from the unconscious parts of my brain, the, the childhood parts, the, the defensive parts, the less aware I'm capable of being. Right, yes. Um, I just wanted to ask you, Gabor, about um, your, your definition of trauma, mm -hmm. which I think it has to do uh, with disconnection. Either there is some kind of pattern of disconnection, either from yourself or from the world or nature. So then how does that, when we think about somebody very traumatized, and in a way we're saying that we are, we all are to some extent, but how does that relate to the psychic in general? When you think of the sense of self or the ego, and we can maybe then uh, deconstruct a little bit what we mean by that, uh, it does feel to me that even though it's a useful navigational tool, it has this cost, which is almost like disconnection. A feeling of disconnection is part of it. And then, uh, you know, the way we deal with it, in a way, uh, you know, if you are 
if you're being specific, you can say we deal with this. This person is dealing with trauma, uh, with this addiction, almost like a temporary relief to this sense of disconnection. Yeah. But then I wonder if there is something that we're constantly doing and try, while trying to deal with this general sense of disconnection, which is just having an ego, as it were. Like sometimes you'd see it, sometimes addiction to thinking, uh, being neurotic. That in some way, I feel that we are, we all are to some extent. But what's, what's your view on this? Okay, well, so Krishnamurti talked about this connection. He talked about it very clearly in one of these books that I have on my desk here. He talks about how when we're hurt, we end up disconnecting just to protect ourselves from the hurt. So he didn't call it trauma. I don't know if he used that word, but he certainly talked about the process of being hurt and then protectively disconnecting. Mm -hmm. So trauma is literally meaning it's a wound. So it's from the Greek word for wounding or wound. So trauma is a wound that we've sustained at some important sensitive time in our lives. Now, if you think of the metaphor of a physical wound, two things can, one of the two things can happen, or two of the things that can happen to a wound is if it stays raw and open, if you touch it, you have intense pain. Number one. Number two, you can develop scar tissue over the wound. Now that'll protect the tender area, but it'll be thick and hard, doesn't have the capacity for growth, and it doesn't feel anything because scar tissue doesn't have nerve endings in it. So it's the same with human trauma and human wounding. First of all, we can have extraordinary sensitivity to the slightest trigger. That's a sign of trauma. Or we can develop this hardened scar tissue where we don't feel and we kind of shut down and, 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 and that's defensive, but it also makes us less sensitive and less aware of what's happening around us and or inside of us. So trauma ultimately is not what happens to you. I mean, a lot of things can happen to people, but trauma is not what happened to them. It's what happened inside them. It's the wound that they sustained and how they try to protect themselves from that wound. That's what trauma is. And so the essence of it, it's Krishnamurti also seemed to understand, it has to do with disconnection because to stay connected to your feelings, to your emotions, to the raw vulnerability of your nervous system is very painful. Mm. And when you're being hurt, and when you're alone with that hurt, now if you're not alone with the hurt, if somebody holds you, then you can experience the pain and go through it, and eventually it'll pass. But the essence of trauma is that it happens inside you in response to some external event. Tremendous pain, but there's nobody there to hold you. So therefore, you disconnect. Mm -hmm. So that's why this connection, which is not my face, by the way, it's the great trauma researcher, Peter Levine, he's the one that the essence of trauma is a disconnection. And that disconnection then applies to your own feelings, to your own body. A lot of people are not in their bodies. I rather suspect that with Krishnamurti, I don't know this, I'm just giving you my sense. He was trying to 
clarify people's thinking. Like he said, so many true and clear things. But I think the limitation is that the people listening to him were listening from the mind <laughs> and not necessarily from a fully connected place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then the mind can hear, I mean, I, the, I can read all these beautiful teachers, <laughs> but as long as I'm closed down and disconnected from myself, that information just stays in my mind up here. And it's not integrated with my whole being. And so that fundamentally trauma is this lack of integration. And the healing of trauma is integration then. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's, uh, that's very interesting because it reminds me of this um, a concept of uh, spiritual bypassing, yes. which in a way, uh, it's, uh, it's this um, experience that, uh, and you see it sometimes in, in you know, spiritual seekers, uh, where you... You're in a, instead of uh, integrating the trauma or the suffering, you have you are able to explain it away in some sense through sp with spiritual terms, right? So where you can use terms like oneness and, and love, and there is maybe Krishnamurti call it an intellectual understanding, which is a little bit similar to what you were saying. Which but the experience or, or the contact with with whatever that is, let's say oneness, is is not there, and I I suspect that it has to do with this disconnection that we have, we, we, we are already numb at the personal level, so then we will be numb to oneness as well, as it were. I think that's absolutely right. Um, intellectual bypassing, of course, is what you see in a lot of academic uh, publications and institutions. They're very smart, they know a lot up here, but it's disconnected from the heart. Um, the uh, spiritual bypass is interesting. People can actually achieve beautiful states of serenity as long as they're sitting on a meditation cushion. <laughs> Now they think, I've attained it. But out there in life, they can't integrate what they've experienced on the cushion. <laughs> And they keep going back to the cushion to, to, to achieve these states rather than working on integration, which is really dealing with the trauma. <laughs> In the spiritual world, this can reach extreme lengths. Hmm. And, and, and I don't have, to, you know, recently another scandal in another spiritual organization, the Shambhala organization, you probably know about that, where the, the leader of it turns out to have been sexually exploiting participants for years and years, hmm. and people shut their eyes to this. Now there's a scandal. Similar scandals in major spiritual organizations, religious organizations. And what's really interesting, I'm talking about the bypass inside these leaders. Because on the one hand, it's true. They convey a lot of wisdom. They've obviously attained a lot of spiritual knowledge. But it's completely cut off from the rest of their beings. So on the one hand, they can teach. and genuinely teach this is the, the the dilemma it's not that they're lying or, or 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 pretending what they're teaching i think they genuinely have experienced or understand but on the other hand they're capable there's a part of them that's capable of exploiting hmm. their power to to to, suit, to to feed their own egos and so talk about spiritual bypass hmm. 
this is the extreme example of it, but we're all capable of it. Mm-hmm. You know, we just we, we may not all have the power um, or the or the or the ego to to, to exploit it to that extent. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so that 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 brings up the question, um, uh, like, so how does learning about this? Eh? If we can say learning or growing or what what brings about change, and um, uh, uh, we we said that there's a connection between triggers, trauma, and awareness, um, and uh, and we already established that somehow I mean all of this is not particularly to 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 traumatize so-called traumatized or 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 addicted or mental illness. It's it's for all of us. So so what is how does growth or change come into being, right? And if we say, okay, um, uh, that we as evolutionary creatures, as animals, <laughs> uh, we have uh, had the reflexes of fight, flight, or numb, uh, fight, flight, or freeze, uh, these reflexes are there. And clearly those reflexes are uh, at pr- are active at present, right? I mean, it's not that I am wanting to numb myself, but... Uh, my uh, the, the 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 my personality is numbing or is freezing or is uh, av- avoiding. So um, uh, and uh, um, so so what 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 brings about change? Uh, how how do you see that? In, uh, um, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so the personality is a numbing. Because what we take to be the personality is in not in all ways, but in many ways, a defensive structure. Mm. And it evolved in our early years mm. as um, a mechanism to protect us against all that pain. And so, therefore, the personality has got a huge element of disconnection in it. Mm. Mm. Um, not all of it. It's also an amalg- it's, it's really an amalgam of our genuine qualities and our defensive reactions. Mm. But one part of it is certainly numbing. So how do we change that? Well, mm. I know some people, well, I know of some people, very few, who've had certain epiphanies, certain realizations come to them suddenly. Uh, and all of a sudden they they get it. Hmm. But, I know, but I know very few such people. I don't hmm. know there's too many on the planet. Hmm. You know, there's a lot more people who claim to have these realizations. <laughs> and they're like best-selling books, but that's another story. <laughs> that's another story. But that's... Sorry, go but ahead. Th- no, but that's uh, uh, so. Uh, th- that's not a very hopeful scenario, right? No, I no, mean, uh, no. I mean, the lottery. I mean, uh, uh, yeah. the chance is smaller than win- winning the lottery, right? <laughs> I think those are, uh, you know, one in a one in four billion or something. But, yeah. but 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 so the other way that we come to awareness is through suffering, hmm. and hmm. and the Greek playwright Aeschylus in his play The Agamemnon. The, the chorus, the Greek chorus says, and I'm paraphrasing, that the way God's created us, we have to suffer into truth. We have to suffer into truth. Hmm. 
And so in my experience as a physician, but also in my experience as a person, if we're fortunate enough, mm. then when we suffer, we won't just take it as a misfortune and an act of a vindictive God or a punishing deity or, mm. or bad luck. But we'll say, well, what happened here? What happened here? And so from my point of view, most, not, not all, but most physical, certainly most chronic physical illnesses, chronic, mm. um, what we call mental illness. And I say what we call advisedly, because even the concept of mental illness is a construct, mm-hmm. not necessarily a reality. Mm. Not that people don't suffer, mm. but call it an illness mm-hmm. is a construct. Uh, mental illness, uh, you know, addictions, uh, relationship issues. We can suffer in all these areas. And at some point, we might ask ourselves what's going on. And so that we have to be driven to ask that question. And we have to be driven to ask that question with the kind of curiosity that Krishnamurti seems to emphasize, which is open-mindedness, where you really don't know. Mm. but you're willing to find out no matter what the cost. Mm. And so I think for most of us, that journey towards self-awareness begins. Certainly that was true for me. It continues to be true for me, by the way, that that we're driven to ask these questions through suffering. And if we don't see suffering as some terrible thing, not that I wish it on anybody, Mm. but if we see it as a potential teacher, the journey begins and that's where the truth is that's where the truth is so, so I just want to uh, uh, see if I understand you right uh, I mean just the the, the I, w- I want to contrast that with uh, because Chris Moody somehow say, says well it's not necessarily so that you learn from suffering and I think that's also not what you're saying you're not saying well if you suffer you're lucky because you're l- going to learn And oh. also, I also assume that you're not saying, uh, well, you have to suffer your whole life, like the Christian thing, right? Uh, because suffering is uh, bringing you closer to God or whatever, to realization. Uh, but uh, somehow, um, I'm guessing wh- where you're getting at is that through facing your pain, which you might mean suffering, is... Uh, it, uh, there's a, there's a potentiality of learning. You might not take the potentiality. Or the potentiality might not realize itself, but there's a potentiality of of learning. Is that is that a? Well, absolutely. So remember, I said if you're fortunate enough, yeah, then you start asking this question. Yeah. So I didn't say that suffering leads to truth. Yeah. yeah. It may not. It may lead to the denial of truth. Yeah. In fact, often it does, and this society is full of denial. I mean, yeah. if suffering led to truth. We wouldn't have had a Hitler. Yeah. Hitler suffered horrendously as a child. But it's the denial of his suffering mm. that actually made him what he was into the human monster that he became. Mm. But inside that monster was a child who had suffered tremendously. Mm. And uh, I can name you recent examples from American politics as well. <laughs> suffering doesn't necessarily doesn't necessarily lead to truth. It can also lead to denial. That's why I said, if we're fortunate enough. Mm. Yeah. That, that is so, 
suffering can lead us to the truth, it can also lead us to the absolute denial of truth. And in our world, that denial is what predominates in the culture, yeah. on the social, yeah. political levels, which then creates more suffering. Yeah. But uh, then the question, it begs the question still, like, uh, are there uh, ways of um, uh, f uh, facilitating or uh, setting up the, the, uh, the, uh, the environment in ways that are conducive where this kind of learning can take place? And I, uh, I mean that, of, I mean, on one hand, we can talk about schooling, but I won't leave that maybe for later, but yeah. maybe... Uh, specifically for adults, uh, us hurt human beings <laughs> in one place or another. Uh, 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 what 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 are the conducive the conducive ways of of uh, 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 strategies or conducive elements elements maybe that uh, could foster a different kind of, a diff that different kind of learning where the suffering is not just suffering. Uh, the pain of suffering itself, but there's pain and, and light, let me put it that way. <laughs> yeah. 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 So there's a spiritual teacher called um, A.H. Almas, who's in California, actually, and Almas writes one of his, I quote him all the time, he says, hmm. only when cap compassion is present will people allow themselves to see the truth. Hmm. So it's not enough to have the pain. Hmm. You also have to have compassion then people can see the truth. Mm. So when you talk about structures and environments where people can explore the truth, the essential quality is compassion. Mm. And compassion on a number of different levels, um, certainly the people conducting the inquiry or mm. guiding it mm. need to have compassion. Mm. Not judgment, mm. which is the opposite, mm. compassion. So there needs to be an environment of compassion. Mm. By the way, you mentioned the schools. The schools are utterly lacking compassion mm. In, mm. in many, many ways. Uh, the, um, they don't like goodwill. They, look, they like compassion. They're not the same mm. thing. Mm. The, um, there also has to be self-compassion, mm. which means rather than saying, What's wrong with me? Hmm. We can say these patterns in myself that I notice that are creating more suffering. Why did I acquire them? What function do they serve? Hmm. They must be there for a reason. What is that reason? So that that's compassion. And so hmm. there's a method of therapy that I teach called compassionate inquiry mm. and and the essence of it is and it is is that nothing that we experience even the aspects of our personality and the dynamics in ourselves that we most judge and loathe they're there for good reason otherwise they wouldn't be there mm. so ultimately it's compassion that's necessary mm. to unlock the key to to the pattern of suffering mm. And yeah, it, it, yeah. So that that this uh, uh, reminds me of uh, something that Krishnamurti uh, said about the quality of listening, mm. and and what does it mean to actually listen to yourself and and others, and I wonder if that is where 
the obstacle is in a way like the moment that we are judging anything you know internally or externally it's almost like you have stopped listening the judgment is the most important uh, aspect so yeah let me tell me what you think absolutely um so there's two things i can say here one is you can use the same words but mean something totally different by it depending on the quality of listening so I can say, why did I do this? <laughs> now, is that a question or a statement? It's not a question. <laughs> it's a statement. I did something wrong. <laughs> or I can say, hmm, why did I do this? <laughs> the second one invites my own listening. The first one shuts down my own listening because I'll be defending myself against myself. Or if I said to you, why did you do this? Mm-hmm. Or if I said, hmm, I wonder why you did that. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the same words, literally, but, but, but the one has a quality of listening to it. The other thing I would say is that, so one of my books, when the body says no, I talk about how the body keeps talking to us. And illness, chronic illness is very often a way of the body talking to us, trying to tell us something about our lives. No, I'm not saying to welcome it or to be happy about it and I don't wish it on anybody. I'm just saying that when it happens, we can listen to the body or we can just try and suppress the symptoms. And Western medicine is all about getting rid of the the disease or if not the disease, which in most cases we can get rid of, but of the symptoms. That's okay. Nobody should experience pain, inflammation. Yeah. But can we not at the same time listen to what the body is saying? and learn from it moving forward. So what's really lacking in this culture is precisely that quality of listening. And and just look at the TV. You look at these panel discussions on TV, nobody is listening mm-hmm. to anybody. They are yelling at each other and talking rapidly to get in as many words they can in the short space that they have. Like Krishnamurti would sit there in front of an audience and talk for an hour or longer. <laughs> and he would assume that people actually are enrolled in listening to him, and he would justifiably assume that. Now, can you imagine Krishnamurti on a panel discussion on television these days? <laughs> yes, yes, in five minutes. Okay, yeah. Jada, you've got two minutes to explain what you mean. <laughs> what, what do you mean by awareness, okay? <laughs> so right. there's, there's so little listening in our culture. <laughs> including that capacity to listen to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's and Krishnamurti actually comes back to that over and over like that the the quality the transformation, the transformative quality of listening of uh, full listening, he calls it full listening to everything uh, that's coming up and not excluding anything, not uh, trying to change direction, because only, he says, like a snake, right? When you can, it, it, it reveals itself when you, uh, when you allow it, when you allow it to, to move as it wants to move. And, and, uh, and that, uh, that kind of revelation is necessary. But there's still, I mean, um, and, and because I, uh, I also read your, your, your somewhat also a therapist, right? You, you, you have been, uh, uh, um, and and I wanted to 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 ask you because I I have seen uh, and, uh, 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 like em- empathy sessions or like what Carl Rogers uh, said uh, 
what is it, unconditionally positive regard, which I really like to love that phrase. If yeah. people, and that there's really a, a qualitatively different, uh, like, like if you ask a person a question about what's going on, people can talk about what's going on and somehow you completely, you, you have a clear sense that there's a disconnection between what the person is talking about and what's actually happening. But then there's also at a, at a certain point, you know, and, and it takes some time or it, it takes the right question that you suddenly something changes and somebody can connect to what's going on and starts talking from that. And it seems to be like almost a tangible shift that I have, I have seen. And often when other people were, uh, were with me and also witnessing that, that it's almost like a, uh, it's almost like non-local, like everybody notices what's happening within that group if a, a certain facilitator is doing that. Um, do, do you have any any feeling, do you recognize what I'm talking about and do you have any uh, feeling or idea what's happening in, in, in those moments? Yeah. Well, I tell you what's happening for me, it's yeah. um, is that uh, in that setting, when I'm working with somebody, <laughs> Um, I'm not just listening to their words. I'm listening to the whole person. And that listening involves looking at their facial expressions, the tone of their voice, how they modulate their language, their body language, their stance, where they're looking. And people could be saying something, but actually having a totally different experience. So if I pay attention to the whole experience, then I can call that person to pay attention to the whole of themselves. We get caught up in the stories in our mind. And we take these stories to be reality. But these stories about ourselves are very often constructs that we made up um, either to defend ourselves or to attack somebody else or to somehow justify or dismiss some aspects of our suffering. And so it's really a matter of paying attention to the whole person. And then, so that's when the intervention can be very, you know, and, 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 and when, I, when I do therapy with people, I'm not a psychoanalyst who sits there for a whole hour just listening and taking notes. Hmm. That's a whole other method. I, mean, I won't, hmm. I can be powerful sometimes, although very often I didn't. But, yeah. but but it's a question of being there with the person and really getting the whole being that's being manifested and reacting to that whole being rather than just to the content of their mind. And that's what can be transformative. Yeah. So, uh, by the way, yeah. my wife will tell you that I'm not so good at doing that <laughs> yes. at, at, at the dinner table, you know, so yeah. it's not I think we have a we have a podcast scheduled with her straight after this <laughs> one. <laughs> uh, I uh, I just like to probe a little bit further because uh, I mean, in my uh, would you uh, in your own experience, and we can just keep it personal in, in, instead of t taking it, keeping it, uh, making a, an, uh, uh, a a huge statement about. But would you feel that? That's as close as you have gotten to really complete listening and being with somebody. 
And I said, or is there a motive, a direction? Is there some kind of thing that driving you? Do you want to cure them? Do you want to change them? Do you want to, uh, is, or is, uh, are you, pre are you fully present to, uh, as far as you can notice? You know, it depends on to what extent I'm taking care of myself. If I do my yoga and meditation, if I do my self-care, and if I don't overload myself with activity, hmm. accepting too many invitations for interviews or or, <laughs> or, 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 or or to speak or to teach in the midst of the writing that I'm doing, if I don't overload myself, which I do have a tendency to do, hmm. then I can often manifest that quality of presence and listening. Mm. When I don't take care of myself, it goes, mm. and I can be very irritable and reactive, and so on. So partly, you know, that's so. so in general, it's available to me, depending mm. on how well I care for this being mm. through, the, through which the awareness is being manifested. Mm. I've also had that deep experience of listening, agendaless, open-minded listening. In certain psychedelic experiences, mm -hmm. where the psychedelic just really gets opens up the portals and gets rid of the walls of the ego, and the awareness can just be there, and I can hear whatever is happening and witness it without judging it, without wanting to be any different, mm -hmm. without having an agenda. Mm -hmm. But I mean, that's experience I've had. It's nothing that I rely on or want to. Um, uh, but I'm just telling you that's another context mm. I had in which I've had that experience. Mm. Yeah, but let me let me change uh, the topic a little bit. I I wanted to ask you what you meant about uh, authentic self or, or, or the real aspect of ourselves. I I I sometimes I, and it could be just a terminology issue. I that that for me kind of creates a difference that presupposes that there is an inauthentic self and a part of us that in some way is not genuine. So I was just wondering, what is that difference that you make there? And, and if I can say uh, also this other aspect, which is I have the impression that uh, almost behind our personality, as it were, like the, whatever, the sense of self and the ego, when you go beyond that, there might be something that instead of calling it an authentic self, something that is kind of more impersonal, as it were, or actually maybe there is something where there is more uh, connection with everything else. You are you are aware of the interconnectivity of life. So in which way that translates to having an authentic self? Yes. So Krishnamurti talks very clearly about this. He talks about the conditioning hmm. and how limited we are by our conditioning. Now, what is that being limited? I think it was being limited as their real self, mm. at least in the personal sense. So, um, authenticity on a very simple level is just being in touch with our feelings and knowing what our feelings are and, and listening to them and, 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 and honoring them and um, paying attention to them without fear of being rejected or hurt if I express and if I be what I experience. Now, very few people <clears throat> get that unconditional positive regard that yeah, you, you refer to, that mm -hmm. Carl Rogers um, <laughs> stated so well. Mm -hmm. And very few people don't undergo 
a deep conditioning to talk about Krishnamurti, which denies our authentic experience of ourselves. So, you know, so, so, so as children, very often in order to get accepted and to fit in with our parents' expectations and with society's expectations, we have to allow our conditioning, not allow because that's, it's not conscious. We actually take on our conditioning and then we mistake that for ourselves. Whereas that's not ourselves, that's just what we're conditioned to believe and, 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 and how to behave, you know, so that let's say a two-year-old child experiences genuine anger, which they do because they wanted a cookie before dinner and dad or mom says, no cookie before dinner, sorry. And the kid's natural reaction is to get frustrated. But what if the parent can't handle the child's anger? And so you can't be angry in my presence. Well, the child needs to be in the adult's presence to survive. So they'll suppress the anger. Mm. So that then develops a lifelong pattern of suppressing your emotions. You've just lost the connection to yourself. Mm. That's in a personal sense. Now, um, in the larger sense, you know, I'm just reading the Bhagavad Gita. Um, and they talk about the self, you know, the Brahman, the, the universal, the, that we all belong to, that we all are. And then, you know, so I can't help but accept that, that that exists. But I also tell you, I have never consciously experienced it. <laughs> I know people who have. You know, that's not even true. Mm. That's, you know what's interesting? <laughs> that the egoic mind forgets these experiences because they don't um, fit in with its worldview. Mm. Yeah, I did have an experience, a glimpse maybe, of the unity that you're talking about. Mm. I don't live with that consciousness every day. In fact, most of the time I, I forget about it. Mm. Some people have deeply experienced it and integrated it into their lives. And um, I think maybe they'd be more disciplined in pursuing that path, or they'd be more fortunate. But I do conceptually or even intuitively understand this larger self that we all belong to, that there's oneness of everything. Hmm. But in terms of myself, I can only say that I can only recall a bare glimpse of it. Hmm. And it's not on a conscious level at least, it's not an active awareness in my life. Mm. Maybe that'll change, mm. but that's what I can say about myself. So on the one hand, I accept it intuitively, intellectually. On the other hand, do I experience it? Do I manifest it? Mm. I don't think so. <laughs> is there, um, I mean, I'm, I just like to, to ask, is there any uh, particular question that you ha have that you would like to bring up or discuss? Is there uh, something that you say, hey, uh, this is really on my mind, this is my where I am at at the moment, where I, uh, uh, the things that I'm contemplating and where I am uh, would really love to go deeper in? Or hmm. Well, so the book I'm writing, which will be published hmm. next year, actually, is uh, hmm. taken long to write it, and I have to revise it, cut it down to about half its length. That's all good. It'll be published next April in 2020. 
the myth of normal illness and health in an insane culture. What I'm focusing on there is the understanding that we have to really look at the individual in the context of a, of a society and a culture. That these issues that we're struggling with, they hit us personally, but they're not personal to us. They're manifestations mm-hmm. of a much larger dynamic. And so to really deal with it and to understand it, you have to really look at the overall context and the larger picture, which often we don't. So in this book, I'm really, I'm looking deeply at the personal, but then I'm widening the lens and looking at at the larger picture. (laughs) And I think that's where my attention and my enthusiasm is right now. Really what it is is that summing up of what I've learned in my life uh, (laughs) in medicine and psychological work and personal existence. It's actually interesting from Krishnamurti's work. It's also like you go from the personal to the general and from the yeah. general, you go to the, uh, to beyond, right? And he doesn't clarify what beyond then is. And would you say, uh, um, um, is there, uh, is there something like, hey, are you alluding to that? Is there something like the, uh, a human consciousness, uh, uh, contrary to uh, the, 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 sense that I am different from you and Francisco is somebody different from me. Uh, is there is there something like uh, a, a, a common blueprint that we all act out? I mean, depending on where we fall on the planet or something um, and depending on circumstances. Um, and is, is, is that mappable? Is that is that um, is it possible to make that more explicit? Is that is that where you're alluding at with your what you were just saying? Well, you know, there's such variation in human mm. experience and human behavior and human thought and creativity and, and mm. the aspect of human existence that to speak about a simple blueprint, well, to talk about a blueprint would maybe be simplistic. <laughs> yeah. By and large, by and large, I think we can say, to go back to close to the beginning of our discussion, when human being needs are met, they will unfold in multiple and beautiful ways and be present and creative and connected. And when those needs are frustrated, then you have all manner of dysfunction and all manner of violence and self-violence and hatred and self-hatred and and and, and, uh, loss of vitality, loss of true creativity. Um, so that the blueprint basically is we have needs. If they're met, like with any creature in nature, there's development to our full potential and a human potential is infinite, hmm. virtually. And when those needs are not met, then there's a limitation of potential and, and, and a distortion of that potential into destructive uh, direction. So I'd say if there's a blueprint, that's the simplest way I can express it. Mm-hmm. And and then I mean, and I mean, I mean, and automatically the question would be then for me: Are you uh, having looked back at you know you've worked with many different kinds of people? Are you hopeful about society, about the world, about the, the situation? Are you, how, 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 like there's this potentiality that you. Had this, 
poten potentiality of what could manifest or what the human being could be and uh, is that for the for the very few is it for the or is it is this is this something you feel that is that is that is uh, emerging or uh, how how positive are you on that so so i don't hope is not something i want to engage with too much because hope mm. is something hope is that something good will happen in the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, what what can I do with that? You know, um, I I'm interested in possibility. Like, what are the possibilities? Mm. And the possibilities for you know, look, uh, this beautiful book by Michael Mendeza that that you guys both know. Mm. Michael is a friend, and he sent me a copy of the book, and it's about Krishnamurti's unconditionally free by the way the, the book is called yeah so krishna already certainly believed in a possibility yes i don't know how hopeful he was but he must have believed in the possibility of it anyway you know and he said that um uh you should have an intense desire to enter into that abode where dwells truth because there lies true happiness there's the only kingdom worth possessing okay so he's mm -hmm. talking about truth and truth being reality, I think that possibility was grasping the truth, not grasping it, but understanding it and, and absorbing it and being with it. I think that exists all the time. Yeah. Now, whether or not human beings will get there, yeah. that's all other question. I can name some spectac spectacular failures, <laughs> uh, uh, like the Buddha or Jesus or 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 Martin Luther King, or Nelson Mandela, or let's say Krishnamurti, who have taught these beautiful things. How's that working out, you know? Mm -hmm. So in terms of hope, but they were all pointing to a possibility. Mm -hmm. And if they didn't have such people, if we didn't have such people who point to our possibilities, certainly there'd mm -hmm. be no hope, mm -hmm. you know? So when I say failure, I put that in quotation marks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Failure in the sense that the world has not understood or or or, or realized the teachings, mm. but without those teachings, without those possibilities that those teachings point to, this would be a very dark universe indeed. So I think that possibility is with us on us all, and it's within all human beings. Now, hope. Mm. Chomsky, Noam Chomsky, uh, was once asked if he was an optimist and a pessimist, and he said, uh, "Strategically, I'm an optimist." <laughs> and, 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 and tactically I'm a pessimist so <laughs> in the long term and, 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 and he quotes Gramsci who was a, a Russian Marxist in, in philosopher in one of Mussolini's jails who talked about optim uh, pessimism of the intellect optimism of the will mm. Mm. so I that's where I am too. Is that you know, in the short term, I don't think things are going to get better. I think chances are things are going to get worse. Hmm. The, the way things seem to be going. But do I believe in the possibility of what, what's what's available for human beings? Hmm. It's infinite. Hmm. I'm no prophet hmm. who can see the future. I'm no soothsayer. Hmm. I don't know what's going to happen, but the possibility is here, hmm. and it will always be here. Phil, this is a beautiful moment. I. Uh, to uh, stop, but it was really 
uh, very enjoyable and, and meaningful to explore with you. Uh, thank you very much for your time. Uh, yes, thanks a lot, Gabor. This was really interesting. Yeah, thank you. My pleasure to speak with you guys as well. I hope to do it in person one day. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Come to Ohio. You are always welcome. The Immeasurable Podcast is a project of the Krishnamurti Center, funded by the Krishnamurti Foundation of America. For information on our online community, programs, and how to support this work, please visit kfa.org.